Today we're talking about help so many kids. And uh, yesterday we talked about marriage. We saw that marriage is God's idea. It's to be thought of as being honorable. It's a lifetime commitment. We looked at the fact that marriage is not designed to make you happy. It's designed to make you holy, which means the fire is going to come up. It's going to burn the nasty out of you. At least burn it to the top. Hopefully then you repent of it and skim it off. And so it's designed to make you holy. Um, marriage is the institution that, that reveals the dark secrets of our hearts so they can be changed, so Jesus can touch them. The topic today, so many kids. Yes, so right in the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1.28 starts right out with a commission. It says, God, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and mod- multiply and fill the earth. And right off the bat, that is what the Word of God speaks. That's what, what the Bible speaks to us. Now, it's interesting to me that in our culture, in our society, uh, my wife and I, we've had four kids. And after two, then when we said we were pregnant the third time, people are like, do you know what makes that happen? Like, in other words, why do you keep having kids? You, you have too many, you shouldn't have any more. There's, for many, many people... This is literally the, the feeling that's be, that is taught, that is, is said, is two is enough. Three is like the edge. But when we had our fourth kid, people really, I, I mean, Rachel didn't want to talk to a lot of people at our church or anywhere because they're like, why would you do that? Or, you know, that's too many kids. You're not going to be able to care for them. Whatever the, the different things that they wanted to throw in there. And the Bible says be fruitful. The Bible says multiply. You look... Throughout the, throughout the Bible, in Psalms 127, 3 through 5, it says, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They shall not, shall not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. You know, David, he saw children as not just a commission from God, but he saw them as a blessing. And this is something that uh, Dad, that he always said, and I, I don't know, it might even be in here that he's going to say it later. But that one, they, basically his only regret in life is they didn't have more children. That there weren't more of us. And I grew up with this. Now I would say when Rachel and I, when we got married, my goal, I was praying for the, from the Lord, was I wanted to have twins. I wanted a boy and a girl, so that could be it. So one time, one set of diapers, the whole deal. And then we had one. And after about three weeks, Rachel was like, never again. We don't, no more kids. And I was not far behind her. And just like, wow, this is tough. We talked about marriage changing your life when you wake up on Saturday morning. <laughs> Add a kid in there. It's like, whoa, what happened? This is, it, this is wild. You know, and so we, we went through and we love our kid, obviously. And then it didn't take long. And I was like, Rachel, we need to have another one. This is too much fun. And where this, this whole thought of loving and wanting to have kids is something that we've kind of bought into, you know? Now, there are days when it's tough. There's days when it's crazy. There's days when you're supposed to speak at 11, and you get here at 10.50, and then you realize your son somehow took his shoes off right before getting in the van. So you have to drive back over and hope you make it back in time, and you're like, what? We're just talking. But God, there's a blessing that he gives, that he pours out upon us. And our society has it all backward. In, in America, uh, the number, I think, is 1.8 children per married household, which means that we are not multiplying. That would be subtracting in the long haul, right? That's less people than we are. 
And, you know, if you look at Muslims, their number is 8.1 children per household. So if you just do a little bit of simple math, and I don't know the numbers of Muslims, Christian, all that, guess who's going to have a lot more people without doing any evangelizing at all? The Muslims are, because they have so many more kids. And it's something that is so incredibly huge. Not that we're trying to outdo the Muslims and children, but that we go with what the word says, and we say, God, you say you're going to bless me. You say sometimes you're going to take care of me. Because guess what? Kids are expensive. I know because I am one, and now I know because my kids are starting to go to camps, and they're starting to do stuff. And all of the youth parents at my church right here, like $1,500 for missions trip, 225 for camp times three or four, and then there's Fine Arts Festival. So they're looking at three, $4,000 in one summer. It's like, oh my goodness, I'm sorry, parents. Forgive me for what I do. But your kids are going to be blessed, I believe, and that's why you do it. And it is so incredibly important to say, God, what do you have for us? Now, when we look at this thought and just talking about kids, my wife and I, we've had four, and we're pretty sure that we are not going to have any more that will be biological kids. However, never really thought this would happen. I mean, it just kind of has been growing on us. But all of a sudden, we're feeling that God has called us to adopt a kid or maybe two or maybe three. You never know what will happen. And we're in this point where all of a sudden we start telling people, I think we feel called that we're going to adopt. We're going to go through our foster care system, which we didn't even know you could do exactly how we're doing it. And our government even will bless us, which is crazy. They're going to bless us with money to help raise these kids. And I love that when we all of a sudden open our hearts and we say, God, I want to see your blessing and your will and your desire for my life. Which means some of the ease for kids is more difficult than three and two and one and zero, right? It is. And five or six or whatever we end up with. But it's saying, God, we believe, we trust in you that what you've spoken in your word, what you've spoken in our hearts, it's true. That we can have them, we can raise them. And even when it comes to fostering and then into adopting, we've seen great adoption stories and success stories and friends. And we've also seen situations that have been really, really tough. And that's where we come before God and we're like, Lord, we have four kids. This has to be successful. And where we feel so strongly that, number one, that as we're stepping out and as we say we're going to have them and now we're going to adopt them, that these are going to be, they are, the moment we get them, our kids. Right? I mean, they're our kids. I don't care that it's biological or not. To me, they're biological when we get them. And so Rachel and I, we are right in the middle. We could get a call today. She probably has her phone on because we always do. And we could go today and go pick up a kid or two like that would be really cool but that's where we're at in the waiting process of just bring it on and but it's a a question of lord am i going to listen to what you have am i going to say even if another kid or two is going to be tough or even if i don't i don't even know what the kid looks like i don't know what race the kids or kids are going to be i don't know anything but lord we believe that you've called us to kids ourselves to have them and we've had four we now believe that you've called us to bless some other kids and to see God move. Joseph's family, uh, there were 12 boys that we know of, so there were probably more. Jesus came from a family of at least six children. Um, I highly encourage you to uh, spend considerable amount of time in prayer uh, as a married couple before you would do anything permanently to stop your ability to have children. Kay and I did something permanent. God spoke to us about that. We went back and spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to reverse that because we felt we had violated 
that biblical command to replenish and multiply. Um, you know, we live in a world when Jesus isn't present, children are exploited, they're aborted, uh, they're abused, they're neglected, they're not wanted. Now, I know this isn't the kind of stuff you hear very often in church. Uh, but it's Bible. It's just plain Bible. Uh, and this attitude creeps into the church. Let me give you an illustration. I have a friend lives here in the state of Ohio, and he, he's been arrested two times. If he gets arrested another time for sitting in front of an abortion clinic, he goes to prison. And one day we were talking, and I asked him about, you know, hey, how many kids do you have? And he said, one. We can't afford to have more. And I thought, dude, you go sit in front of abortion clinics to stop women from going in there because their excuse is, I can't afford to have kids. You know, we're talking a Christian here. We're talking an Assembly of God preacher here. Um, you know, one of the greatest joys of my life is getting to do things with my family, with my kids. Um, a couple Christmases ago, we went down, we, we rented a house in Florida. The whole family came down for Christmas. We walked on the beach. We went out to eat. We played board games. We watched movies. Uh, it, it was just an incredible time. You're not going to experience that without kids. You hit a certain age and you look at each other and go, what, what do you want to do? Uh, when I'm at preacher's meetings and I introduce Pastor Chris, this is my son, there's just something that happens inside of me. I know you're not supposed to be proud, so I'm not. But I don't know what I am, but I'm something. When I, when I introduce our daughter Jamie, who's our daycare director, we've got 115 kids in our church daycare. And when I introduce her, this is... Jamie Batchelder, she is our daycare director. She's my daughter. There's something that goes on. I'm blessed. I'm rewarded. Uh, you say I'm not married. Well, uh, here's what I did before I was married. I, I started a daycare in Lima, Ohio, as a part of my job being a youth pastor there. Started a daycare from scratch. I was the cook. I was the teacher. I did everything in that daycare. It gradually grew until I had like 30 kids and every day at the end of the day, I would go into one of the rooms, sit on the floor. They'd bring all the kids in from all the other rooms, and they would maul me. They would crawl all over me, and I would play with them. I would hug them. What was I doing? I was parenting children. Um, when I was 25, I was still single. I was in seminary. And I went to the pastor of the church I attended in Springfield, Missouri, and asked if I could start a Bible quiz team. He said, start a Bible quiz? Yeah, slap me on the back. What do you need? I need a, a quiz box and the ability to use the church van. You got it. I started dragging seven teenagers all over the state of Missouri in teen Bible quizzing. We started winning. They'd stand them up and they'd give them ribbons. And I was going, they're my kids. Today, I go to National Assemblies of God meetings and one of the largest churches in California is pastored by one of my kids that was in my Bible quiz team. Um, 
And, and if you're single and you don't have children, why not prepare yourself for a time when you might have children? Uh, we have 200, uh, we have 150 kids in our Rangers and our girls' ministries every Wednesday night. Um, and people will say, so many kids. And I go nuts when I hear people say that all that church cares about is kids. And if you say this, I want you to be feeling guilty right now. Um, Jesus took children in his arms and he blessed them. The disciples said, no, Jesus, come on, man. And so the first point is have children. Have a lot of them. A lot of them. Have a lot, a lot of, of them. them. <laughs> the second is to love them. Now, this is where I think the, when Rachel and I, when we started to look at having our second child. So we're like, okay, we have Elizabeth. So we've got Elizabeth who's six. Then Avery's five. Jordan is three. And Kate is almost two. She's one, just about two here in a, another month or so. And it was one of those conversations where you have one and you're like, do we have enough love or do we have whatever you need to have another one, like to throw it in the mix? How do you love two as much as you love one or three or four or six or whatever that number is? How do you do this? And the last verse in, in the Old Testament says it this way, uh, Malachi 4, 6, and he will restore the hearts of the children to their, ch uh, of their children to their fathers and the hearts of the, or fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the land with the curse. And I believe so strongly that when we open our heart and we let God speak to us and we let God's love pour through us, it's not like there's a love shortage in your house, in your life, unless you want there to be a love shortage. There, there's only a shortage of, of love. There's only a shortage of care when I decide that I want to sit on the couch and watch TV only and I don't want to spend time with my kids or that I want to take a nap all the time, which if you have several kids or maybe one kid, Guess what? Sometimes all you want to do is sleep, right? You just want to sleep. Can't the kids get locked in a room? I love nap time. We have two hours every afternoon where, guess what? It is nap time. My girls, they might be getting where they don't nap as much, but they have two hours of quiet time because I love you, but I need a nap so I can show you love in an appropriate way because otherwise it might go south. And, you know, I, I want God to, in my life, continue to open that up and, you know, one of the biggest things when you think of love, this is with your spouse, this is with a friend, this is with anybody, is that love, the greatest way you could spell it, is T-I-M-E. It's time. Which means that if we're going to have and we want to show love, it means we have to figure out how not to work too much, how to be home, and how when we're home, to make that valuable and good time with our kids. So the other night, got to have Avery my five-year-old, and she went over actually to the McEwen's house, and I don't know if you taught her how to ride a bicycle with no training wheels, but she said you did, so when I get home, then I'm like, okay, or she's like, take my training wheels off, so like she asked me over and over, so I go out and take her training wheels off, and then I like push her down the driveway, actually I was holding on to her back, and she's like, let go of me, let go of me, I'm like, how about if I just see you try first, right? But quality time where it turns into that and then where I'm like, okay, here we go. And you let go. And those moments where life things happen, where just spending time with them happens, where when Jordan, our little boy, when he just wants to talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk, 
And all the people that are in our campsite are like, yes, oh my goodness. That what he needs is just to sit there and let him crawl all over you and let him talk. And you might not, it might not make any sense to anything that really matters in life besides the fact that it's my boy and that when I spend time, I'm showing love and I'm, I'm giving that love and that quality time. And, you know, whatever our end result of how many kids we have, that means we have to be even more careful and more specific on how do I show, if, let's say we have six, that means I have six kids I have to show quality time to every day, every day. And then I need to have six probably experiences a week where it's more than a normal thing, where it's a special time with each one of those kids. Guess what that just spelled for me? T-I-M-E. It means I have to get time and block it away where my kids are the most important thing, my wife's the most important thing, because that's what love is all about. We live in a day when men abandon their kids. Um, They abandon them when they're gone all the time at work. We live in a time when men abandon them through coming home and never speaking to them. To them. One uh, study showed that the average amount of time that a man spends speaking with his children is 12 seconds a day. That's because some never talk to their kids. I'm, you know, And this study was talking about a conversation where there's question, answer, back and forth, not just commands. Stop that. You're an idiot. Why'd you do that? Not that kind of stuff. Uh, Joshua, as busy as he was, leading a million and a half people into the promised land, he was talking about his family. As for me and my house, these guys here, we're going to serve the Lord. And uh, many parents are thinking about their jobs. They're thinking about their golf. They're thinking about their promotion, their softball, their boat, their concealed carry course, the next project on the house, their lawn, their friends. They're thinking about all this Stuff that's going to burn up. Which, if I can just say with that, uh, I loved, I loved playing softball. I, w- I had a really good softball team at our church, not because I was good, because I got the best people I could find and went and played with them. So then I got to be on their team. And we started having kids, and it was amazing. You have one, and it's, oh, this is good, two even. Then you get to three, and all of a sudden it was difficult, like really difficult, to the point where when we were thinking of having a fourth kid in the back of my mind, I'm thinking some things are not going to be able to happen if I choose and if we choose to have a kid because it takes a whole evening that I'm not spending any time with my kids. And, and then I have to prioritize my time and, and the things that I enjoy so that I can get what I need in exercise or those things, but where I can spend time with my kids and golfing. I love golfing, love, love, love golfing. But I can't go every time that someone asks, or I can't go every Thursday night to a church golf league because I've got four kids at home. That when I leave to go golf, and I love it, then my kids, number one, my wife is there with all four kids by herself, and that means my kids are there, and they're not getting time with dad on a night that is a perfect, it's my day off, it's the day I should be spending time with them. And so sometimes you've got to let some stuff go and, and reprioritize, and maybe it's delay some things until it's a better time in the life in the life of the family. I've had people say, well, I get home from work, I'm just too tired to spend time with my kids. Uh, let me just you know, spell it out for you. The Bible says that the only time you're to rest is when you're asleep or on your Sabbath. So you don't come home from work and rest until you go to bed. 
Um, you know, a, a lot of us, we, we um, part of our problem is we don't do enough. You want me to finish this? A lot of us aren't exercising, so we don't have the energy we should have for our kids. You need me to go on? Um, we need to come home with our hearts focused on our children. Jeremiah 47.3 says, Fathers have not turned back for their children because of the limpness of their hands. End quote. While under attack, the fathers are leaving their children to be destroyed because they don't have enough energy within themselves to go back for their kids. They were leaving them when they were being attacked by the enemy to be destroyed. And we have to be, as God's people, we have to be those who go back for our kids. You know what? If every church in the United States of America went after one child, every church adopted one child out of the foster care program, the foster care program would close down. Don't get excited about that now. Come on, think about it. If every church represented in this place today and every other church in your city went after the children that Chris is talking about and and the Brannons have taken in, we'd be doing what we're supposed to be doing and put the government out of business. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm a little... Sometimes tune-ups on your car take a little... And that's what I'm doing. Um, I love it. I think it's so huge. When you look at it, we have them, right? If we're going to have them, you better love them. I mean, that's a, you have to. So you choose to have them, you love them. And the, the third thing that I think well, is huge. Oh. I, I want to give one more thing. Yep. He, he talked about time. Let me give you another thing in addition to time. Patience. Um, in loving children in addition to time is patience um, quit that you know uh, anyway let me, let me just when we go places and I, and I watch parents go ballistic you know what they're kids two Sunday mornings ago we had a baby dedication and they've got this kid, and this kid is just squirming and worming and crawling and going and squirming and crawling and wiggling. And I said to the parents, it's okay. Because this child is doing what God created this child to do. Wiggle and squirm and crawl and talk. And, and we're going, shut up, sit down, quit moving. God didn't intend for them to do that, and you're trying to get them to do something God doesn't want them to do. So give them the ability the opportunity to squirm and wiggle and crawl. Uh, but patience. Work on your patience. See, it, you know, parenting is not about making you happy. It's about making you holy. And we all need patience. So, go ahead. Rachel and I have mastered that, so <laughs> you can come talk to us later if you need pointers. But uh, <laughs> the third thing is, is parent them. And I, I believe in our culture, in our society, this is something that we 
don't do well at. And that we think parenting is being friends with them. And I want my, friend, my kids to love me, and I want to be friends with them, kind of. But I don't want to be best friends with them. I want to parent them. And I want to lead them. I want to shepherd them. And I want to be able to tell them, and I will. <laughs> I want to be able to tell them what is truth, what the word would say, what God has for them. And if I sometimes have to not be the best friend to my kid so that my kid can be strong in God and be strong in who they are and they can learn and they can grow, I will gladly, gladly do that. And, you know, we're youth pastors and we have a youth group full of people that, number one, I can pretty much point out just when they come for a few weeks who parents their kids and who just wants to be friends with their kids. It's pretty obvious in what they dress and how they dress, truthfully, because so many parents are afraid, well, if I tell them they can't wear that, then they're not going to like me. Yes, please do it. That's okay. They'll respect you, and they'll love you a lot more. I promise. I, we can tell people who they're not ever told what to do, or they're not told no. It's very obvious, because they're not being parented. And there's, to me, when you, you work with kids and you care about kids, if we want to make our life hard, just try to be really, really good friends with kids or your kids. Just try to be best friends with them and let everything else happen as it happens. That, that's going to be tough. It might feel easy for a moment, for a short period of time, but then they're going to get too old and the, the decisions and the situations are going to be too big and they're going to start doing whatever they want. Whereas if we parent our kids, we tell them no, we tell them what needs to happen, then life can change for them and they can grow. Uh, yesterday which I think she might have got it a little bit. But Elizabeth, our oldest, our oldest on Sunday, on Monday, um, well, I get some background. I've been in El Salvador, and then I was home for three days. Then I was at senior high camp for five days, and then home for a couple days. So my poor kids, I feel like I was, got home from El Salvador and just telling Rachel, I feel really bad, really bad. So Elizabeth's been struggling to listen, which I understand. I haven't been there. That's just how it goes. But so there was a moment yesterday where we were like, hey, if you're not going to listen, then it's going to be very simple. We're not going to yell at you or we're just going to have you come and you're going to sit down right here. And that's what you're going to do. You'll sit there for five minutes. And if you want to sit in this chair by yourself, then you cannot listen. And when I say that to grandpa, to any parent in our, in our area, and it was one of those moments where all of a sudden I, it was blatantly disrespectful. And I'm like, Elizabeth, come here. And she's like, you know, it starts doing her little wine thing. I'm like, let's go. And I sat her on the chair, took her out of all of her friends, and I talked to her. And I said, we cannot be people like that. We have to listen for safety. They're riding their bikes on the way over here. We're following. I thought she was going to get run over by a car. Thank you for going slow, whoever didn't kill her. I appreciate that. But you've got to listen because you never know when one little split second decision of whether you listen or not could be life altering. It also could just be that your character you don't do what you need to do. Or it could be a job. You're six now, but someday you're going to have a job. Now is the time. And so parenting at a level that she could understand, number one, it made our afternoon a lot better because she started to listen. And it made our, our family camp will be better because we were willing to go after a few times and say, hey, you're just gonna, if you want to do that, you're going to sit by yourself to where she understands. And whatever age, even if your kids are out of your house, you can't parent them the same. But you could still help. You could still give ideas. And, uh, you know, and it's such a huge thing that we must parent. And let the friendship thing, that'll happen. They'll respect you. It, it, there's no doubt. But we've got to parent. 
And one more thing, and then Dad could take over. I love that uh, Jim and I, we were talking. Jim, you don't know, we're part of the Radiant Life Compound, so we've got, I don't know, five or six different families. We're all together. Ten. What, ten? Ten families. Ten families. I was off a little bit. But so we're talking last night and just about youth and about one of Jim's sons. He's like, why does he like Randy so much, one of our youth leaders? And I was like, you want to know why he loves Randy? Because every time that Caleb acts in a way that he knows he should not act, Randy corrects him, he talks to him, and he will, will not allow it. He will not allow it. And you would think that he would hate Randy because Randy stays on him. He keeps on him because he wants him to do what he's supposed to do and to grow and to mature. And that's what I talk, talk to my youth leaders about. And so I loved hearing Jim say last night, he just talks about Randy all the time. Why? I'm like, because he corrects him. Because he makes him do what, what, uh, what AJ knows is right. He makes him do it. And, it, and he respects him for that. And that's, that's the sort of thing that you as a parent, your kids will love you. They might not always say it in the words, I love you. And Cass, it might feel exact opposite of that. But they're telling it to you. Believe me, if you're being consistent in your parenting. Uh, most things are better caught than taught. And what you want in your kid, you be the example of it. You do it. If you want your kids to read their Bibles, Pastor Chris mentioned yesterday, I intentionally read my Bible in the family room every morning so they saw me do it. Um, I wanted my kids to be thankful. So what did I do to exemplify that? I said thank you all the time. Every place I go, I'm very grateful. I say thank you. We pray over our, all of our meals at home. If we're in the restaurant, we're thankful. I wanted my kids to be witnesses. I took them on missions trips with me. We've drug our kids all over the world on missions trips. Guess what? What did he just say? He's now leading missions trips. It comes from setting the example and being, uh, being the example for them. I wanted my kids to love their wives. And so every Thursday, can I have a date day? And I would take her out. There were times when I'd be out in the backyard Thursday, 10 o'clock, 1030. One of the kids would come out and go, Dad. I'd go, what? You know what today is? Uh, yeah, it's Thursday. What are you doing? I'm, you know, building this thing, or I'm fixing this, or I'm cutting that. They'd say, it's time to get ready. For what? It's your date day, dummy. Minus the dummy. We would never say that to Dad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they saw me open the car door for her. They they saw those things. Uh, I wanted my kids to think that church was the greatest place in the world, and so we... We talked about church being the greatest place in the world, and, and dozens of times we've had to say, we had to say to them when they were little, come on, it's time to go home. Just a few more minutes, Dad. You've been here all day. Come on. Why? Because we loved the house of God, and it happened that they wanted it too. The most difficult way, um, it, you know, you've got to make it happen. Yes, I, I would just throw in, with the Bible reading that he mentioned, if you want a good family situation, I believe so strongly that a time where you spend in the word and in prayer with your kids based on their age is not really a negotiable. Like that is something you have to do. I believe so strongly. And at our age, ages with six, five, three, and one, we've got a wonderful comic book Bible that we got at National or General Council last year or whenever, and we've been reading through, we're almost through the whole Bible, reading literally every main story of the Bible, I think 280-something different stories, and they talk about it, and they read it, but we also 
we, we understand the squirming part, but they have about three minutes, because that's how much it really takes. We're not talking a huge, crazy amount of time. But three minutes, where I expect them to sit and to look at the pictures and to get into what the world has. Because when they're 10 and 15 and 18, they're in my house, guess what my plan is? We're going to do the exact same thing. Might not have comic books anymore. It might be a little different in content. Might be the straight word and then whatever would go with that. But it is so incredibly important because it's one thing to talk about it or to do it at church or to whatever, say you should do it, even to model it. But it's another thing when dad would get us around and we would sit and we would read the word, we'd read things that push us towards the right way. And it's, it's just absolutely vital, such a huge thing in their life. And, uh, you know, it's something that I love that my parents... You, you know, if you have a 16-year-old, you say, they're too old for me to start this. No, they're not. Do they eat your food? Do they sleep in your bed under your roof? And they, they would go, well, this is the stupidest thing in the world. Come on in. We're going to do it. And you just start doing it. Why? Because you're the parent. You're not their friend. And that is so incredibly just important. But when we were growing up, something that we, we loved and we felt so honored to be able to do was, or to be able to have done for us, I guess, was that we were homeschooled. And when you think of the education and or society and you think of sending your kids to public school, which probably most of you, that's what most people do is send, you know, public school. And, you know, we felt so blessed. Number one, I talked about golfing. I golfed. I have a golf course next to my house. I golfed every day when it was warm enough to golf. And I worked out this sweet deal where they would let me fix ball marks on the green and give me a free golf cart to ride as much as I want to play golf. So I couldn't beat it. And so I played golf. I had so much fun. But the thing that I know is that when we were homeschooled, every day we were taught exactly what mom and dad want us to be taught, which meant we were taught biblical Bible-based stuff every single day. We didn't learn science or we didn't learn crazy stuff that was against what the Bible was because they're not going to teach us that. And so we felt so incredibly blessed. And I would say to you, if you have younger kids, if there's any way that it can work in your situation, I say do it. I'm, I'm all for homeschooling. I think it is wonderful. But on the other side of that, if that's not an option for you, and uh, we have tons of, you know, great kids in public school, but they're from parents. I mentioned Jim earlier that, you know, with his son and with different things, it takes a, a almost, I don't want to say more work, but it takes you getting home from your job, maybe more work, and then reteaching them and talking to them about what they learned and talking to them about why what maybe they learned is not quite right or why it doesn't line up with the Bible. And now with our, our, the morals that are taught at school, literally every day, it comes to you. If you want to have successful kids, I believe it takes you getting in your kids' lives, asking them, what happened today? What did you learn today? What did you see today? What do you hear today? And then talking through why those things are good or why those things are bad, why those things are beneficial lifelong or why those things are going to be hurtful, why what their, their friends are going through is something that we, should not have, or that we cannot let ourselves be a part of. And it, it, it takes more parenting in public school. Christian school is better because they're learning, they should be learning Bible curriculum. But guess what? They're still friends, they're still people, and you still have to every day talk to them. 
It's the parenting or the teaching. You're doing it, whether it's homeschooled or Christian school or public school. If you want successful kids that love God every single day, you've got to be talking. I, I have people that come to me and say, Pastor, well, I want my kids socialized. I want to say, you're nuts. So here's what I say. Okay, it, when you homeschool your kids, you pick who they're socialized with. You pick the adults that they're going to be socialized with. You pick the kids they're going to be socialized with. You don't train a dog in a dog pound. You don't turn a dog loose with a whole bunch of dogs and they just run around they get trained. It doesn't work. You train a dog one-on-one -on -one with a trainer. Homeschooling is like that, one-on-one -on -one with a trainer. Um, the Bible says that what you sow, you will reap. It doesn't say these words, but the principle is correct. What others sow into your children, you will also reap. And so what Chris talked about is true. It takes more work if your kids go to a Christian school and even more work if they go to a public school. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, 6 to 9 says, And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, you shall teach them to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and frontals on your forehead. And so we've got to teach our kids. Um, I think the last, only a couple more minutes, um, is that we, you have to pray for your kids. I mean, this is something that's huge. And there's some of you probably in the room that prayer, you just get prayer. Like, you love it. Uh, I know for me, a few years ago, we started praying every Tuesday morning at our church. And I was a pastor at the time. I mean, but I learned how to pray because two hours every Tuesday morning and the first 40 days, I think we did Tuesday morning, Tuesday night, Thursday morning, Thursday night. So it was eight hours of prayer. Guess what? You learn to pray by praying. And you do the same for your kids. If you're like, I don't even know what I would pray for my kids, ask God to help you and then spend, give yourself five minutes or three minutes or whatever time frame. Say, God, help me today. I just want to spend five minutes a day praying for my kids. And God will give you the ability and he'll grow that, that, that ability in you to pray and to cry out for them to the point where I believe he'll give you an ability or he'll speak to you in that prayer time to help you parent, to help you know, maybe I need to talk to my kid today. Maybe there's something that I... I wouldn't necessarily know, but when God is with us and when his spirit's in us, that all of a sudden he gives us those little hints. He helps us out. When we are just inadequate parents, and if you're a parent, you probably, that's where you feel sometimes, sometimes a lot of the time. And you need God for you, but you also then need to be interceding for your kids, crying out to God for their spouses, crying out that they would stay pure and their spouse so they could be pure together, crying out and letting God guide them and direct them and lead them and prayer is something that you you don't until you need it you don't realize how much you needed it i guess is how i would say it until it's something that all of a sudden you're crying out to god because there's a crisis in your, one of your kids life or in your own life you don't realize but god he doesn't want us to be the the crisis okay now i'm going to come pray he wants us to cry out to him for our kids every day pray that they're going to be filled with the holy spirit pray that when they come to a summer camp whether it's family or high school, or maybe one of your kids is coming to middle school camp this week. Pray that when we are here and we're around the altars, that God, if they need saved, they get saved. If they need filled with the Holy Spirit, they get filled with the Holy Spirit. We'll even baptize them in a fire hose out in the field out there. Like, we'll, we'll make it happen. Pray that there are meaningful experiences that they'll never, ever forget. 
And I believe God will do it. He'll make it happen. He'll, he'll let, things, let them understand things because you're praying. You're already setting the spiritual tone for your kids in your house. Let your house be a, pr- a place where worship music and praying and just seeking God, well, that's not a weird thing. Well, that's a normal thing. That's something that your kids expect. Let, with, worship, or with prayer, I think worship a lot of times can go hand in hand. Man, make it when your kids, if you get in the car, they always are asking for worship music. Our little girls, they are always asking for worship music. So if we want to listen to sports radio or we just want quiet, we have to be like, no, let's not listen to Jesus music now. That makes you feel good. So you turn it on, right? Because that's what you've given them. That's what they see. And then they're going to grow up being people that know how to pray because they've experienced it and they walk in it. And uh, man, let, just pray God that he would do it. Pray that he calls your kids into the ministry. Uh, something that dad always said, and I, I believe this is the right way. We so often, when it comes to full-time ministry, we were all in the ministry, just in case you didn't realize that your work, wherever you work, we're in the ministry. But dad always said, we, we get it wrong. We go look for some secular job somewhere to do something, to whatever it is that we might just want to do. Uh, and we say, God, if you would call me, then I'll do whatever you want. So I'll, I'll be in the ministry. I'll be a missionary. I'll do whatever it is. And Pastor Dave, he always do our church. He always talks about that being backwards. Why in the world would I not expect God to put me in full time where I get paid to minister? Because I get to do it with every part of who I am. And then if he calls you to be a doctor or a mechanic, or he calls you to do whatever it is that he, an engineer, he calls you to something else, then that ministry that you've already got in your heart, because that's what you were doing, then you get to take that ministry and you get to move that thing over to here where we live. You get to move it over to Honda and be an engineer. And you get to win people to the Lord and you get to see God do crazy stuff. Because your heart's ministry, whether he calls you to be a full-time minister or missionary in another country, or he calls you across the street to work at, a, at something right there, because it's in you, because that's who we are as ministers. So I encourage you, pray that he would just call your kids into the ministry. And if it's secular, that's great. But if it's full-time, come on. Let me mention one thing that we skipped over. Discipline. Um, I I believe in discipline. Never discipline a child for childishness. What is childishness? Spilled milk, carelessness, silliness, forgetfulness. Uh, I I had to parent my mother... And she regressed to where she was like a child. And I went, this was what I was like when I was little. I'm dealing with, I dealt with the same thing with my mom. And you don't discipline for childishness. You only discipline willful rebellion. Um, But you do discipline. You know, the, the writer of the Proverbs said, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child. It's the rod that drives rebellion from the heart of the child. It should be used seldom. It should be used with discretion. It should be used in private. I see people screaming at their kids in Myers, and they want to be slapping them around. I want to stop over and have a little chat with them. Uh, Dr. uh, Dobson, he says that between the ages of 10 and 12, you quit using the rod and you use some other form other than spanking. Um, let me encourage you. Um, they're going to be irresponsible if you're irresponsible and you don't discipline, but you do it in love. One of the questions 
I was going to say, with discipline, and this might just be a personal thing, but I believe it's crazy. So many parents, and we love, we have kids that their favorite thing to do is to come to church, to youth group, to Royal Rangers, girls ministry. And there are so many, like the number is mind-boggling, that they discipline their kid from coming to church. And I, just, just the spirit of it, that's exactly it. Just the spirit of it. And if, you, if, you put your, if this is where you're at, I encourage you to really talk to God and let God give you another area. Because it might be effective, but it might also be effective in driving them away from the church because that's what you're saying. Is, oh, you're bad, you can't go to church. That's what they hear. That's what kids in our youth group come and say. Well, when I do things wrong, I can't come to church. So, you know, it's the opposite of what should be being spoken in their life. And it makes it a confusing situation to say, if I do wrong, I can't go to church. So why would I want to go to? I mean, it, it just doesn't work. And so I, I encourage you. Yes. <laughs> Pastor John. Uh, there was a question about disrespe- disrespecting grandparents. Uh, just demand respect. If my grandkids disrespected me, I'd treat them just like they were my kids, and I would discipline them. I would do whatever I needed to do because they're going to respect me. Always go for the heart when you're dealing with your children. It hurts grandma's heart. It hurts grandpa's heart that you're treating me like that. God wouldn't want you treating your grandma or your grandpa like that, and because of that, I'm going to help you with this by... You're not going to do this. You're going to have to sit and time out. You're going to have to do something else. But you demand respect. 